All right. I want to talk about governance, uh, uh, Publius. And I know this, this is something in general that we wanted to discuss and, and know how to do uh, or you know how to go back uh, to fully decentralized governance. But I want to talk about go- governance in general on how we're planning it. And then to talk about some examples of, of how governance work in general and when do we think you know these are things that we want uh, uh, or the community in general wants to like get involved in uh, or not. So I'm going I'm going to split my questions into maybe like three parts. First of all, is how are we thinking of uh, designing maybe a decentralized governance? Uh, where are we with that? When do we want to tackle even even this? And then the second thing is maybe some of a few examples of what already happened uh, in DeFi lately and what, what do we think about, uh, about it. And in that, I'm going to give two examples uh, for us to discuss. The first one is where, where the DAO, uh, let's say, you know, the protocol does a mistake or something like that of some sorts. And then the DAO thinks that that was, you know, it wasn't right, even though, you know, uh, it was what was designed. And then they... Put in a proposal uh, to change to change that, and in this case, I'm going to give the Juno uh, blockchain example, where you know they they wanted to give a split, and then what happened is they realized someone had multiple wallets, so they thought that was unfair, and they you know they decided to vote to take that back. So is this is this is this part of the ethos of decentralization? Is there anything that we think is you know wrong there? Just given that at the end of the day, it was the DAO that voted. Uh, or this is how decentralization should work, or is you know is meant to work. And then the second one is um, if the protocol does any activities or does market activities, uh, um, thinking that this could be you know better for the protocol itself. And in this example, I'm gonna give the Solent example, where instead of waiting for a liquidation to happen that they think might impact the market, they were like, why don't we interfere you know uh, uh, ahead of that happening. Uh, uh, of, you know, for, for the overall uh, best uh, of the protocol. Is, is this okay as well uh, with, when it comes to decentralization? Didn't everyone get the ability for them for it to vote? Uh, what are your thoughts about these things? Was there a third question? Because you said I have three questions. Then you yes, the, 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 fir- the, fir- the first one was about having uh, like decentralization generally in, in the way of voting. How are we going to ensure that we are getting the decentralized vote, let's say? So right now we're in the BCM. Eventually we want to move into, into something. And then you have two examples. Was that one question or the two examples were two yeah. questions? The, the two examples are where after we've sorted out you know, decentralized governance, when do we think is it okay for, the, you know, for, 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 for governance to interfere with these things or not? When God. do we think is it appropriate to, to get involved in these things or, you know, just let, let things be and this is not uh, what, what governance is about? So there's a lot to be said, uh, a ton to be said about decentralized governance. Uh, hopefully this is the one of many conversations on the topic held uh, within the DAO and class is a great forum for it. Now... At the highest level, the, I think the starting point for this discussion, and it's, it's obviously relevant, but it's a great starting point, is what actually happened to Beanstalk, right? Where the uh, code as it was written uh, was nothing changed. There was no attack on the code, uh, like uh, there was no bug in the code. 
Instead, the code as it was written was used uh, and the use of the code was against what was the intended use of the code. And this is one of the main, uh, from, a, from a very high level, like a philosophical question as to what to do in a decentralized setting when there are issues in the code. And in particular, the, the, in the early days of Ethereum, the ETH DAO hack had a similar issue where Ethereum ultimately forked because of the, uh, the lack of consensus on what was the appropriate thing to do when it comes to honoring the theft or not. Now, in the case of the ETH DAO hack, the hack was substantial enough to the Ethereum network itself that caused a fragmentation to the network. Uh, and in the case of Beanstalk, the attack was significant enough that it has caused, like, there's a new Beanstalk that is, does have slightly different changes to it. It's the same contract. But the concept is this, is, this has led to a full, uh, some sort of split uh, to, some, to some extent. And the question, I guess, because Ethereum was the native asset of the blockchain, a fork can do that, right? You can undo the attack with a fork. Whereas in the case of Beanstalk, you would have had to uh, reorder the entire Ethereum blockchain uh, in order to, to undo the attack in this instance, because the value that was stolen wasn't just Ethereum, uh, although I guess you could make the argument that it was transferred into Ethereum, so at that point you could have forked it. But the, the concept is, because the value is USDC, right, because it's other assets that are exogenous to the network, to the Beanstalk network and to the Ethereum network, it's not so easy to just fork it or replace it. You can't fork a house, right? So as soon as you get into other assets that are not just uh, created by the consensus of a group, uh, it, it's a lot more complicated to think about what to do. And one of the the real rubs here is when you're building permissionless systems that are meant to be very low friction and fast, uh, that you there are unknown unknowns that can potentially cause there to be major problems. And so the question is, how many guardrails should there be? What types of things need to be protected? What is appropriate protection? And how quickly should changes be able to be made and implemented? Uh, these are like very high level questions, but across the board when it comes to Beanstalk governance, and there are a couple of very important pieces of governance going forward that will remain uh, things that the DAO needs to vote on, uh, upgrades to the protocol itself, uh, upgrades to the whitelist uh, for the silo, and changes to the composition of the silo whitelist in terms of stock and seed distribution. And the latter two are really interesting. Uh, I guess the, the former is the one that w got attacked, uh, but the former in terms of changes to Beanstalk as a protocol are easier to say everything should move really slowly, right? The, the, there's no rush to changing the, the core of the protocol, or, or there really shouldn't be uh, any need to rush to change the core of the protocol. 
What's much more likely to be a need to move fast is a, a change to the Oracle or a change to what assets are whitelisted uh, or what assets Beanstalk is willing to pay you to keep in the silo. So in practice, let's say, uh, theoretically, let's go back uh, two months, or let's say we're at the same period of time, but two things haven't happened uh, yet. One, Beanstalk hasn't been attacked, and two, Terra hasn't collapsed yet. And so now there's Bean 4 pool has been whitelisted in the silo. And we're, you know, Beanstalk as a protocol is getting some great incentives from Terra and from Frax uh, in order to have the assets white, Bean, 4, Bean 4 pool whitelisted in the silo. And now Terra starts to go under. And in short, what you would have happen is that Beanstalk would be willing to bid or provide, uh, provide you interest for continuing to hold the UST. And in short, it, it's, it's most likely, particularly when you have assets that aren't just going down 90% or 95%, but going down 100%, that it's in the best interest of the protocol to at some point stop either paying people to leave those assets deposited in the silo at a minimum or potentially remove those assets from the whitelist. And how quickly to do that, uh, what, what it actually looks like to that process moving quickly. I mean, on the one hand, you could make the, the argument that in a frictionless silo, which is what we're hopefully building, where you can convert between different LP pools relatively frictionlessly, there shouldn't be any reason why if UST is collapsing that people don't sell their UST exposure within the silo such that they move from being four pool to being uh, ETH or being three curve, whatever it may be. But at the same time, uh, the, the Beanstalk as a protocol still probably shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be awarding people seniorage for leaving UST deposited in the silo after it collapses to zero. And more importantly, or more dangerously perhaps, is if you have minting based on a pool that uh, becomes unreliable. So let's take the Bean 3 curve pool, which it seems like uh, will be based on the latest uh, snapshot vote. Not sure if that finished yet. I think it might finish tomorrow. But so far, seems like there's a a significant majority voting for the launch with the three curve. The thought is that, well, what if Tether goes under? And how how does the DAO quickly respond and make sure that the, you know, I, I mean, frankly, if the only pool in the silo is three curve, Beanstalk is going to have a lot of Tether exposure uh, after it collapses. So that's one of the other reasons that having a diversified set of LP tokens whitelisted in the silo is important. But what does that process look like for whitelisting, for unwhitelisting? Similarly, how does that apply to the Oracle? Or more importantly, how does that apply to the Oracle? How quickly should changes be made to governance? Uh, I'm sorry, to the structure of Beanstalk as a whole? Th these are sort of fundamental questions that I don't think at this point have great answers other than it's very clear that relative to one another, certain things are should be perhaps changeable on shorter order than others. But otherwise, it's very hard to know exactly what the process should be. Uh, I think on a more technical level, the question of implementation and making sure that everything can happen in a truly permissionless way 
on chain uh, while still being resistant to any sort of malicious changes to the protocol. Uh, that's a very important step that we, sh you know, to answer your first question, Mod, I think we should all collectively want to take sooner rather than later. But there are some major questions to, to, to be answered. I think collectively such that we're all on the same page about what is good decentralized governance moving forward. And it's not just about making sure that there's enough time for everyone to vote. Uh, you know, in, in, in reality, the, the easy answer of, well, once the vote is, uh, or what, I mean, you still have to add some sort of flashlight resistance to it, but once a BIP is proposed, people can't add to the silo. That's unattractive from our perspective because you want to allow people the opportunity to join that are part of the ecosystem to join the silo and participate in the vote if they if they want to or to use other resources to participate in the vote there's nothing wrong with adding more resources to participate in in votes in theory but in practice you have to make sure that that also doesn't allow for this to just become like going to the highest bidder per se maybe that's an ideal outcome maybe it's not these are questions that aren't necessarily clear at the moment and in general the the hope here is to create a system where there's no there's nothing that anyone can't do right anyone in theory let's say the attacker was transparent uh, and said here's a proposal to take all of the assets from the DAO, in theory, anyone like Beanstalk should be resistant to that type of proposal where people can propose nonsense things and the DAO is just never going to vote for it. So having a high 50% uh, majority stock voting in favor of changes, that's that was designed to make it really hard to change the protocol as opposed to easy to change it. So uh, in, in general, people have indicated an interest in permissionless uh, and immutable contracts. Uh, it's harder to have immutable contracts for Beanstalk, uh, both because of the diamond contract structure uh, and in reality, a lot of Beanstalk is likely to continue to change over the next couple of years. And so hard to make the contracts immutable, but eh, just just rambling a little bit here. Hopefully it's constructive. Uh, it, it, it is, and I have a few follow-up uh, questions or continue the discussion there. Beanology, uh, raises the answer. Let's maybe take that question and we can continue after. Hi there, can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Fantastic, thank you. Um, Publius, you're just talking about the scenario where Tether goes down and we've restarted with the three-curve pool. Could you spin that a little further for what happens if that's the pool that we start with and we don't have any other ones? And um, sort of say how bad that would be and therefore if it's in fact a bad idea that that's the pool that we start with given the uncertainty around tether lately well the concept is the way it would work in practice is if ust really depegged uh and the it became worth significantly less than a dollar on the open market the three curve pool would likely become a uh, hundred percent US 
DT due to the nature of the way curve works. So it would, as an AMM, it would become heavily, heavily overweight USDT. So basically the three curve tokens, they would represent ownership of a liquidity pool that was almost all Tether. And then Tether may or may not have value. So from a risk perspective, there is something to be said for the fact that if Tether goes down or USDC goes down, you know, not to necessarily say one or both is likely, uh, or die depegged uh, in, in a horrible way and it, it had bad debt uh, as a protocol. Again, not to say that was possible, but just laying out what could happen. Uh, not to say that it's likely, but laying out what, what's possible. Is any one of those could become overweight, and right now Tether is overweight as in the three-curve pool. So it's a, it's a valid question to ask whether or not it's better to avoid that altogether. Frankly, it's <laughs> there's a reason Beanstalk was originally launched with a Bean ETH pool, right? It's the, it's the most decentralized. Uh, frankly, feel like at the moment in this bear market, the risks of relaunching with the bid being ETH, where it could potentially dip 50, 80% between relaunch and whenever the low in ETH is, uh, that's, that risk needs to be evaluated against the risk of tether depegging. And, you know, on the one hand, there's this is one of those things that we don't have any sort of information one way or another that would make us feel confident and tether's gonna collapse or not uh there's been endless tether fud for as long as we can remember and so it's very hard to gauge the validity of it however uh the fact that market makers are no longer pricing it at a dollar is definitely substantive and it's hard to evaluate what the actual risk is, frankly. So what what is the risk of launching against ETH in just an absolute shit market versus launching against Tether or some combination of other assets in Tether where if Tether collapses, it becomes full exposure to Tether? Uh, how, how to evaluate that against relaunching a, a month later? It's like, yeah, it's, these are all good questions. I think at the margin, the hope would be that at some point there's other pools added, like a Bean ETH pool, uh, and when by the time the pool is added, there's generalized convert between the LP tokens such that you can go between Bean 3 Curve and Bean ETH and take away your 3 Curve exposure and add ETH exposure, and therefore people could, in an efficient fashion, sell all of their 3 Curve if USDT started to DPEG. Uh, but obviously that kind of assumes an efficient market in the silo and people are watching it and it's hard to assume such an efficient market in Beanstalk at this point in time. But, but the concept is the, assuming that that feature was live, you could at least assume that Beanstalk would be able to, in short order, uh, de-risk from Tether, assuming people could convert from Bean3 curve to Bean ETH uh, LP tokens. So let's say that's a month after launch. The, the risk on that front is whether Tether depegs in that month or two months and how to evaluate that risk against the ETH price movements over those two months.
that would be the calculus. And it's hard to know one way or another. What's obviously if tether breaks, then it's a no brainer what, what the right answer is, but otherwise uh, hard to know. Thanks for that answer. I, I think my quick follow-up would just be like, I mean, it's, it's anybody's intuition and, and what you think is a bigger risk. But my analogy for myself is like uh, investing in a company, let's say Tether, that goes bankrupt versus investing in, you know, the S&P 500 during a downturn, which would be ETH. And like, if you invest in the company that goes out of business, you're gone, your money's gone. But if you invest in the S&P, it's going to go down. And then assuming, you know, the whole economy doesn't tank, it's going to go up again. And so it just, it's, it seems like two different kinds of risk profiles where one is we're betting that it won't completely collapse versus ETH we're just bet, hoping that it won't dip further before it ultimately goes back up again. So it's like, it's a little bit of an all or nothing versus a just um, enduring the pain while ETH goes down, if indeed it continues to go down. Yeah, I mean, frankly, the whole point of Beanstalk is that one party can never destroy it. So the whole concept of making it such that three curve is, you know, and Tether has a bullet pointed at Beanstalk's head. Obviously, it's pointed at their head too, but the concept is if they go down, we're going down with them. That's very unattractive. So yeah, I don't have any, any sort of argument against what you just said. But then wouldn't it be wise for you to sort of evangelize against the three restarting with the three curve pool if that Indeed, there's a bullet in your head from day one, uh, pointed at your head from day one, whereas it's not the same kind of threat for the bean ETH pool. Yeah, I think that it, the point is, in our minds, it's very hard to to, to see Tether collapsing. So, if, you know, if we thought it was really a, a risk, then I think that's a good point. But it's like very hard to analyze what the risk is. It's one of those things... I think I'll put it this way: If Tether goes is really goes under, um, how's this for 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 a thought? If Tether goes down, I bet that ETH will go down more than USDT will. Hmm. Like yeah. Tether has some backing; it may not be a hundred cents on the dollar, but the cost to Ethereum, the price, the on the price, the effect on the price of Ethereum. And on Bitcoin of of Tether going under, I think would actually be more than the price of Tether on the market. Like, let's say Tether goes to fifty cents, uh, that's still probably better than than ETH would perform over that same period of time if that happened. That could be wrong, but that would be my intuition. Yeah, I guess I'm not arguing with that intuition. I just. Uh... It, it still seems true that because Tether is centralized and ETH isn't, that ETH could still bounce back from that, but Tether couldn't. So I'll just leave it there. But I, I think it's definitely something worth continuing to think about. 100%. The, all I can say is I think adding a bean ETH pool is probably priority number one after replant, assuming we're, we replant with a bean three curve pool.
All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And I hopefully, or I hope not to see, um, you know, USDT depegging and then compared to the impact of ETH. Okay, Publius. Um, going back to governance, uh, and 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 here's a, here's an example of you know what what we were just like talking about. What do you think are the things that the BNSOC community or the DAO will want to get involved in, or or not? Um, um, so you know we, we spoke about like whitelisting and, and doing doing those sorts of uh, of things. Do you think there are certain things that you know the DAO is best not to get involved, or or everything everything is is fair to discuss and change? As long as you know we're ensuring that people are voting in a decentralized way. So this is a great question, and frankly, something that, at least on my end, I oscillate between. Because on the one hand, if Beans are really the main liquidity provider on the Ethereum network, it it seems weird that other assets are gonna uh, have to fight and go through governance to just get liquidity of any sort. Now, the issue is that if you're giving people, if there's seeds for a deposit um, or stock for a deposit, then Beanstalk is paying people for providing that liquidity. And so the, the, the thought is what, let's say I have, I mint, I make a new currency uh, called Publius coin and we control Publius controls the supply of Publius coin and Publius coin is now uh, whitelisted in the silo and receiving stock and seeds. Now, at that point, we can mint infinite Publius coin and start to accrue stock and seeds and bean seniorage. And on the one hand, while that may have a negative effect on the price of Publius coin, if we keep adding it to the liquidity pool that that's whitelisted in the silo at the same time it's very much a profitable thing for us to do because there's no cost to minting the Publius coin and you know the liquidity in the pool is probably ours anyways since it's our coin and we're the only ones that would provide liquidity to it and so we just start collecting bean seniorage so th there's a situation that anyone assuming that you get stock and seeds for depositing assets in the silo it's incredibly extractive assuming that Beanstalk is going to pay people. And so the question is, well, what does it look like for assets to be depositable in the silo, but you not getting paid for it, but people being able to provide liquidity for it in an efficient fashion? And so the concept is, if you have uh, one bean in the silo, and I now convert it into some liquidity pool token that is trading where it's beans trading against Publius coin. The, I think the, the way to create a neutral market for this is that the stock and seeds is half of whatever the deposited bean amount is. So if deposited beans get two seeds and one stock per BDV, therefore I can add my beans and convert them or or add the, the the issue really remains though that someone can still just add Publius coin on the on one-sided liquidity and start to just mine stock and seeds and so for, i mean i'm thinking out loud here clearly but the concept is you really do run into this problem where uh, to some extent you need to make sure 
that the assets that are whitelisted in the silo at the very least don't like cannot be arbitrarily minted and there does need to be some sort of oversight on where the supply of these assets comes from now in general if people are adding liquidity in their coins to beans to beanstalk and trading it against beans that is in effect buying beans right you add one sided liquidity it increases the ratio of x asset to bean and it raises the bean price in practice so to some extent it's beneficial for beanstalk to have more assets trading against beans and as beanstalk grows and it becomes one of the primary medium of exchange mediums of exchange or the primary medium of exchange on the ethereum network uh how to treat this perhaps becomes different because the value of other coins may start to be derived from trading against beans uh in addition to the value of beans being derived against from from the other coins that they trade against if that makes sense like right now the value of ethereum isn't derived at all from the value of the beans that trade against it or almost at all whereas in the case of in the case of uh of beanstalk uh if it's trading against like the beans get the value from ethereum or the beans get the value from the three curve that it trades against so it's just a different you know, it's a different dichotomy once beans are what the assets are receiving their value from. So, uh, so something needs to be said for how, how that process may change over time and what's a reasonable thing to, to offer over time, if that makes sense. I think there's a lot to discuss here and maybe just discussing the, the bit of um, being outgrowing, you know, Ethereum or, or the network uh, it's in, uh, is, is worthy of, of some chat. Um, I'm just going to take, uh, we're going to go through some of the questions in the town hall chat and, and maybe we can go back uh, to this. Scooby asks, um, has there been any update on the launch on the, or the relaunch, given that the trail of bit uh, needs some more time? I understand that, you know, we delayed a bit, but do we have, do we have a firm date on that? Uh, no firm date at this point. Uh, think that they are so here's the reality we told them once they said they needed an extra week we told them like we want because we'd paid for the extra week so at that point it was pretty low cost for them to tell us like hey we want to use the extra week um which i think because of the holidays it, it's supposed to end on uh july 6th uh is is i think the date that they gave us now we told them like we do not want funds or budget to be the constraint here. Uh, Beanstalk Farms has more USDC in their wallet that can be used for security and, and other relevant things. And the concept is if Trail of Bits needs more time, we told them they, they should take as much time as they need. And I think we can all agree, given we're already all waiting for the audit, we want the audit to be the best quality possible. So hopefully July 6th, uh, they will they will they will be complete with the audit then they said it's 10 days from then until they they will submit their final report and i think it is it's likely that that nothing will happen until the final report although if if there's really nothing going on and the final report's just going to be clean then maybe we can propose the bip to replant while we're waiting for the final report so that still puts us at the best case scenario like 
second week, third week of July. And that still assumes no hiccups whatsoever. And how born things are going, you know, no, no hiccups there, no extensions on that front as, at the moment. So uh, it really is just a question of the Trail of Bits audit and whether any changes from any of these audits are, are significant such that we need to push things back further. But as of now, hopeful that uh, second, third week of July, the BIP to replant will go live. And then obviously uh, under the, the BIP procedures, it'll take uh, a week unless there's a supermajority, which is very possible uh, to replant Beanstalk once once the audits are all, have come back and been published and stuff. So that's where we're at on timing. Okay. Schwagami asks, um, asks about um, if the price of ETH in specific or the market conditions have impacted um, positively or negatively our plan on to replant. I mean, I, I hate to be like a woulda, shoulda, coulda guy, but it's just a shame that Beanstalk doesn't have the, the data of being on during such a market collapse. Uh, Beanstalk had been on during like 50% ETH drawdown, but there is something to be said for just being on during the whole shit show. And it's too bad that that's, that's data that was lost. And I think we all would have liked to have seen how Beanstalk performed during the past two months uh, with the Terra meltdown and then the, the market meltdown. Now, other than that, I think a lot of us working on Beanstalk or uh, who are participating in Beanstalk uh, in some capacity uh, feel that Beanstalk is a major step forward for the structure of DeFi. And it, that, that a lot of the current stuff in DeFi doesn't really work because of the high carrying costs, which is a structural issue that Beanstalk tries to solve. So the fact that so much of the stuff out there is, uh, you know, getting repriced, uh, sign significantly repriced, uh, that's... If anything, it just makes the, the temporary haircut, or the temporary decrease in the bean supply, uh, you know, much more modest, right? The bean supply is still going to restart at uh, something like more than, more than 10 million beans. So uh, we already have 10 million in the, in the, in the, in the fundraiser. So yeah. by definition, we're going to have more than 10 million beans. The concept is bean stocks decrease in size doesn't look so bad compared to everything else but otherwise don't think there's much to be said for how this will affect beanstalk's chances of success going forward at least at a very substantive level yeah and, and just to add to that the the bond raises in usdc so whatever fluctuations that are happening from now until then like won't impact us austin asks um does Publius think what does Publius think is a reasonable seed reward for the bean three curve uh, pool, and if that reduces, uh, how how do you how does that impact current um, or existing depositors? Do do they get a reduction in their seeds? So the whole idea behind moving away from fungible or liquid seeds is exactly for this reason that should the DAO decide to change the amount of seeds for a deposit, that that can just be changed going forward. So any of the stock you've earned in the past, the grown stock from seeds, that's yours to keep. 
but going forward, the rate of grown stock that you'll accrue on that deposit will change. And so that flexibility uh, is, is something that always existed because seeds were never actually fungible or liquid, but it's something that could certainly be used to the benefit of beanstalk in this instance. So was frankly have been thinking that because the bean ETH pool was losing out in size to bean three curve, and to some extent with good reason, uh, the, it's clear that beanstalk will have to incentivize uh, the bean ETH pool more than the bean three curve pool in order to manage the, the amount of exposure it has to three curve at any one time, at least at current size. Uh, meaning at scale, uh, harder to know uh, w- what assets will, will be most desirable to trade against Beanstalk. But Beanstalk very clearly would prefer to trade against ETH than to trade against 3Curve. I think uh, previously the thought to, of making them on par with one another with both being four seeds was that it was unclear how much liquidity would be attracted to being 3Curve on Curve. And the Uniswap liquidity at the time the curve pool was added was still pretty low. And so there wasn't a lot of, uh, you couldn't transact in volume. And so the concept of having curve in large size was very attractive. But then it became that the curve pool was so much larger that uh, it probably would have been prudent for the DAO at some point to vote to change that uh, maybe to three seeds uh, or increase the bean ETH pool to more than four seeds. Now, this goes back to the question we were talking about before, Mod, about what is like a, a baseline and what's a reasonable amount of uh, seeds at the maximum and stock at the maximum. So for, would, would probably think it's interesting to launch with three seeds in Beam 3 Curve. Uh, however, the reality is that you do want there to be a, an incentive to be providing liquidity as opposed to just holding beans. And so having two seeds versus three seeds, not sure if that's enough. Uh, probably probably could, could, there could be some modeling done or some thought done on, on what, the, what the right incentive there is. But frankly, it's hard to know, uh, particularly given how the size and scale of Beanstalk is likely to change over the next couple of months pretty quickly. So yeah, not sure what the right answer is on this front, frankly. Wouldn't I guess system I know is let the market price it so eventually you know people will vote what they think is each pool worth? Yes, but not sure if that's really how you want the gate system to work. And this goes back to like the governance question. And Vitalik has made the point that as soon as you have liquid governance tokens, you allow somebody to basically make a wrapper such that the use of the token for the accrual of seniorage, let's say, can be separated from the use of the token for governance. And think that we, perha- we, we probably want to avoid making the use of the stock token effectively be a, a, a bribe for being seniorage in the way that current governance models work. Now, obviously, hard to know exactly how to prevent that from happening, but it, it, Letting the market price it is, that's the goal. But the question is, is is it really the market pricing it if the thing the market is pricing is just bribing, bribing the incentives that then create the effect? Like that's, 
I don't know if that's the market pricing things as much as as much as we'd like it to be. So the question is how to create something that's more market neutral uh, than than that. Hard to say. Uh, voting is is the best vote stock based voting or the weighted voting is probably without a doubt the best solution. But the question is what are people voting on, uh, and how how are people voting? Uh, so there's a lot of really uh, interesting open questions on the governance front uh, that that really should be more closely analyzed. And the hope is after replant, uh, in addition to working on getting a B and ETH pool live pretty quickly, uh, moving back to on-chain governance, that's like the big, that's the big project after replant and uh, answering all of these questions collectively and coming up with things that that are are logically coherent uh and and sufficient given the nature of the problem beanstalk is trying to solve it's not going to be trivial right and we want to we want to try to do it in a really permissionless way where where there isn't we don't want an economics committee saying what assets should be approved and shit like that like ugh, you know it makes me want to puke so how do how do we how do we stay away from that and create real market neutrality? That's the question. That is a good question, and I guess anything that you want the market to price, it has to come with size. Uh, if you don't have a representative um, or even a process to get that votes right, you don't get really a market price. Yeah, and you know this isn't a great comment, but. The thing that makes Uniswap so lovely is that the constant product formula is really market neutral. It's totally neutral and has no bias to it. So the question is, how can we, in a similar way, create uh, some sort of very neutral way for people to participate in the whitelisting process, manage the risk of the whitelist, participate in the Oracle process, manage the, the risk of the Oracle? Like th These are very complicated questions to get right. I agree. What, what other things do you think would, would be um, put in, in there? So we're talking about how, how much does it help with PEG? Uh, that would be one. I guess volatility is one. Decentralization is another. And then maybe the risk of the asset is there. Can you think of other things? I guess you said well, price oracle as well. What how is the purpose the of the asset, right? So in general, what what beans are is is a great asset to trade against uh they're a great liquidity provider and potentially a great medium of exchange because of the interest that they bear now beanstalk in order to make sure that there's consistent value for beans needs to attract liquidity now beanstalk would prefer to have decentralized liquidity with a stable price right such that there's no exogenous effect on the beanstalk, uh, the, the liquidity available for beans. So ironically, and this is kind of the point, what does beanstalk really want? It wants beanstalk. It wants beans. So everybody wants beans. Everyone wants a decentralized, stable asset. So instead, beanstalk has to choose from all the other potential assets. And so what actually is there? There's Ethereum, which is the most decentralized, but very unstable. And then you have other assets like 
USDC and USDT that are heavily centralized, but very stable. And then you have, I mean, you have, you have assets that are some combination of decentralized and stable or unstable, or, and that's kind of all of DeFi. Now, what is Curve token, just as an example? The ownership of Curve is uh, somewhat distributed, but not greatly distributed or convex. Similarly, like not, not super distributed, but is it decentralized? Is it not decentralized? What does that actually mean at the protocol by protocol level? How to weigh that against the fact that their price uh, is also very volatile. Their prices are, are highly correlated to the price of Ethereum. You could make the argument they're just beta to Ethereum in a large way. So uh, it's sort of like you're not getting any sort of hedge to the price movements of Ethereum. So Beanstalk really probably wants a lot of stable assets and then a lot of decentralized assets. And it's hard to manage the stability and decentralization curve, uh, particularly at scale. So you take an asset like LUSD, LUSD is decentralized, permissionless, uh, and price stable, uh, and has done very well, very well uh, during the, the recent collapse. But the issue is the supply of LUSD is limited by the supply of Ethereum. And in practice, the Ethereum that uh, is providing the liquidity to the liquidity troves at the margin would just otherwise be providing liquidity against Beanstalk at scale. So the, the question is, is that really creating more stability given that the liquidity would likely drain in terms of size when ETH draws down anyways? Like what is it to have, to have good liquidity against Beans? And this is a problem that at scale is really hard to answer. So at the, this, this is one of the reasons why at some point, Beanstalk does just grow so big that it becomes the main uh, liquidity hub or, or place where transactions happen in DeFi because it's just so much bigger than all the other assets, right? Everyone else wants beans, a la how Beanstalk wants beans. And therefore, at some point, Beanstalk does quickly become to be the center of it all. Or at least that's, that's what, if you play this out, is how, how it would seem seeing things work out. And then quickly you need to think about, well, if beans are the main medium of exchange and other assets like Curve and Convex start to derive their value from trading against beans, well, then obviously them being included in the gauge system is a major boon for their value. And so how do we make sure that that's not, that is, that it, maybe not instead of is not, that, is, that it is working to the benefit of Beanstalk net-net. And that's very hard to, to evaluate what that is. So, yeah, no, don't have any sort of like, this is what has to happen. This is what Beanstalk needs. It's more like there's a lot of things that Beanstalk wants and uh, they all come with trade-offs. So we have to collectively figure out a process for evaluating these trade-offs, making decisions, coming up with... Uh, processes in case the risk associated with any of these decisions is realized and how to mitigate that as much as possible in a market neutral fashion. Yeah, and, and this brings us back as well to the other discussion of what happens if Beanstalk outgrows the, the house then. JWW asks, um, once we add new pools, are, are there going to be any charges for switching between 
um, the pools for unripe assets. So don't think that you'll be able to convert uh, unripe bean three curve to unripe bean ETH. Uh, it could be done. This was something that I think was discussed either in the DAO meeting last week or in class last week, uh, but would, would be a significant additional complexity that would uh, likely push back how long it would take to roll out the pool. And so that's something that the, the DAO would have to decide on whether to add or not. In order, under the current plan, I guess you would call it, uh, in order to go from being three curve to being ETH, you would have to take a haircut. Okay. Okay, so you, you're saying that if the plan would do that, then it's going to be that the other pool, basically you're switching. It's not like you're going from, because the other pools won't support unripe as well. So you can't go unripe, unripe. That's the, that's the current plan. Now, yeah. upon this discussion, and let's just be on, let's be, let's be frank. We get we have the benefit of seeing real data, right? So, if over the month where this is being developed, it seems like the barn raise is going very slowly, nothing is happening, and there's a benefit in allowing everyone to move out from being three curve to being ETH, and all the liquidity is unripe. That's sort of a different thing than if over time the amount of unripe liquidity relative to the total liquidity decreases. So I think that will be one that we have to evaluate how much, what the benefit is in practice. And it's, it's obviously going to add some significant, uh, significant uh, dev time if, if we want to make everything convertible, uh, particularly these unripe assets, which right. are pretty sophisticated. Okay, so the answer is possible, but haven't been discussed yet. Uh, and by having been discussed, we haven't we don't really haven't weighted the advantage or the pros and cons for that, given the complexity of having something like that done. All right, Austin asks, in generalized convert, what has to be true for a depositor to be able to convert from one pool to the other? It has well, to be. Well, you know, don't. As far as I'm aware, and Publis, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but this isn't necessarily finalized. So in a perfect world, uh, if people are providing bean, ETH, liquidity, uh, and they want to change their exposure to bean 3 curve, they should be able to do that. Now, making the question of stock loss in doing so is a little bit more interesting. Now, the reason it's interesting is because you'll always be able to complete one half of the convert without a loss of stock due to generalized convert, right? If the price is too high, you can always convert deposited beans into deposited LP tokens. And if the price is too low, you can always convert deposited LP tokens to deposited beans. But the question is if we're gonna allow in theory, like a two-leg swap, where you're going deposited LP to deposited bean and then back to deposited LP, well, whether or not that should be allowed at the protocol level, in all cases, only in the instance where the price in the pool that you're converting from is lower uh, or higher, like further from peg than the price that you're converting to. On the other hand, maybe as we're, we're, we're talking here, that people want to change their bean, ethic, bean three curve exposure to bean ETH exposure. 
and are willing to pay a penalty to do so, it kind of makes sense that Beanstalk should allow people to do that. Uh, but, but the question is, and I, I haven't run through the math myself, so I haven't played through it. Like, what are people actually being paid to do, if that makes sense? So what stock is being gained or lost for these conversions? And it's important that Beanstalk isn't paying people to make a market in an inefficient way. Uh, but at the same time, if we go back to market neutral, we don't want Beanstalk paying people to be buying USDT or buying 3Curve if it's collapsing. So hard to hard to have a solid answer for you at the moment. Okay. But in, in general, for you to, to be able to convert, you'd have to convert from a pool with a higher price than the other one that you're converting to. This is like the general route, right? That, that would make a lot of sense, yes. Now, we're going to restart with one pool, so this rule isn't explicitly defined, but yes. RG asks if the Publias are participating in the binaries. Most certainly. Wonton asks, is the tractor in the room with us right now? So the tractor, we just found out about tractor. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, there's no real, I mean, it's kind of just a meme, uh, which is that the tractor is the industrialization of the farm. So the concept is that there's all these features that ultimately there should be tooling and automation added on top of to make farming on the bean farm much easier. So we were having a conversation with uh, Silo Chad and we we got memed the tractor pretty hard and we were hit with the, you really haven't heard about the tractor. So um, we were totally out of the loop and now everyone is in the loop. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, um, off as as you know, and when I saw it on Twitter, I I had FOMO all over, all over me. I, I wanted to just come back and see what's what's happening. <laughs> okay, I think we're at the end of the of the uh, town hall chat. But Publius, I wanna I wanna follow up on our governance discussion with maybe one more question. Um, and and now I I don't really expect an answer. It's more Give of us, Benji's like, question real quick, which is. Just whether or not uh, you can go from three curve to bean and to ETH LP with no haircut, and no, the 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 point is that you won't be able to do that. And and Benji, follow up if, uh, if that, or I guess if that answers it. Well, I think uh, Benji, are you asking about the non unripe LP form or the unripe LP form of bean three curve? Because you can't go from the unripe LP token, which is, you know, kind of the vesting bean three curve token to then uh, bean three curve. That is where you take the haircut. The unripe LP token is its own unique token. And the way to convert from unripe LP to bean three curve is to take the haircut. So you cannot go from unripe LP to bean ETH LP without taking a haircut. But you can go like one. It, you could theoretically at some point go from three curve to being to being Eve LP without the unripe version. 
Okay, I think I think it's clear, but maybe he is a bit disappointed. RG asks, what happens when all debt is paid? Do all new mints go to the silo? So, yes. As Beanstalk is implemented, if it has no outstanding debt, all mints go to the silo. Now, the under the new, the way the soil worked before the, the attack, it's unlikely that the debt ever goes to zero because uh, there's always soil, and as debt gets paid off, the soil becomes more attractive. Now, the one improvement that we hope to make to Beanstalk before the replant is that the soil and the amount of soil available when the price is above one uh, over a season, uh, the amount of soil available actually changes based on the debt level. So that's an additional toggle that Beanstalk can use where when it has a high debt level, it tries to decrease the debt level more. But uh, on the opposite end, when the price is when the debt level is, is lower, Beanstalk should be willing to issue more debt such that it's unlikely that the pod rate ever hits zero. Okay, I think Deckers on Eurovirus are maybe tapping a question. All right, we'll take the last question and maybe we're, we're almost at the on the hour. All right, when, when being tattoo? We don't know if there is one already. I'm Jewish. We don't do tattoos. But maybe, uh, maybe uh, one of the other two Publis can be compelled. Okay, last, last question. Given that we're starting with just a curve pool, What's the relationship between the price and the delta in terms of minting? So this is, uh, I don't know if Breen is, is available, uh, but Breen has been doing some great work on this and maybe he can, I'll just tag him there and he can drop some, uh, he's been putting together some nice research there, which, uh, you know, we, we would encourage you to check out. Yeah. All right. I think we'll, we'll end, uh, class here Publius, thank you very much really enjoyed you know today's class and the conversation in general yeah this was great and uh you know hope to continue the governance conversation next class yes sir um, or maybe even have more conversations more regularly because this is like a main focus that we all need to figure out and the questions you raised about juno and uh i saw another dow recently reneged on a saft um and then the soul ending these are these are real questions that need to be very clear very clear what Beanstalk is expected behavior and what's not. So this is all, we're all going to figure it out together, gang. This is all this. We're very excited about the opportunity to figure it out. Sure thing. Thank you, Publius. See you next week.